The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you feel that you're losing the battle with looking and feeling your best? Stop! Welcome to Body Balance Talk with your host, Jeannie Schmidt, along with Lucy and Madeline. Your body has an outstanding ability to heal itself and stay healthy. It's up to you to get the process started. Now, here's the show. Welcome, everybody, to Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy Hewitt, nutritional therapist. And I'm Madeline Hewitt. And I'm Jeannie Schmidt, PharmD. And welcome to our show today. And yes, indeed, your body absolutely does have an outstanding ability to heal itself and to stay healthy. And that's what we'll be talking about today, our role of magnesium in heart disease. And we would absolutely love to hear from you. Call us at, write this number down and be sure and call us sometime in the show. The number is one 866 472-5792 and call with any questions or comments you have about our topic today or if you even have some other topic about nutrition you want to bring up that would just be great too our sponsor of our show today is a major difference a major difference makes the ion cleanse machine for detoxification and it's something that I use myself, my husband David uses, and we use with the clients in the studio here. And you can find out so much more about it if you go to their website. It's called amajordifference.com. And in addition, they put out this very fabulous book on total body detoxification within the last month. And I've gotten the book and read it. And I think that all of you out there will really, really enjoy this book as well. So I suggest going to that website and um, looking up that book and ordering it for yourself. Okay, on to our topic of magnesium today. We've been talking about magnesium for the last couple of shows and it's just it's such a great big topic and that's why we have it split up into numerous shows. And today it's on heart disease. And as, as you know, heart disease is the leading killer of both men and women in the United States. And we know that heart disease kills hundreds of thousands of people every year. We've had over 40 years of nutrition guidelines in the United States. These are government guidelines for eating, and we've had numerous drugs released onto the market. But our rate of heart disease and obesity continue to rise. And in fact, when our first dietary guidelines for eating came out in 1980, obesity rates have actually skyrocketed. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Uh, you probably are, actually, that the current CDC guidelines for preventing heart disease, here's what they state. The first thing is follow your doctor's instructions and stay on your medications. The second one says, eat a healthy diet that's low in salt, low in total fat, low in saturated fat, and low in cholesterol, and rich in fresh fruits and vegetables. The third thing says, take a brisk 10-minute walk three times a day, five days a week, and don't smoke. If you smoke, 
quit as soon as possible. Now, those have been the, those are the current Center for Disease Control or CDC guidelines in our country. And from these guidelines, we've been told to switch up meat and eggs for cereal and skim milk. But this recommendation has not helped our country's health. And in fact, it's very likely that this bad advice has killed millions of Americans. We can see that a rigorously done new study shows that those with the highest sugar intake had a fourfold increase in their risk of heart attacks compared with those with the lowest sugar wow. intakes. That's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing, and it's 400%. Just one twenty ounce soda per day increases your risk of a heart attack by about thirty percent. Wow. Imagine that. That's just one twenty ounce soda. Lots and lots of people have way more than just one soda yeah. a day. This, is a, this was a study of more than 40,000 people, and it was published in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association. And the study accounted for all other potential risk factors, including total calories, overall diet quality, smoking, cholesterol, high blood pressure, obesity, and alcohol. So they took out all of those other risk factors. And this is, that's what they came up with was that the highest sugar consumption gives you 400% increase in heart attacks. Now, the average American consumes, how many pounds of sugar do you think that the American, average American consumes a, a year? Like how many pounds? Just either say that out loud, we can't hear you, but think what number you think it is. It's actually 152 pounds of sugar. And 146 pounds of flour every year. And that would be the average American. So that would mean that there's a number of people who don't eat any of those things and other people who maybe eat double or triple that amount. This is an average. Now, if we look back around 1800, people consumed about 16 pounds of sugar. So 1800, people had about 16 pounds of sugar in a year. Up to now, the average is 152 pounds. So we can see that's a multitude increase. It's not just a small increase or a moderate increase. It's many, many, many times over. And the increase in sugar actually began around 1850. And it continued to climb to today's numbers. If you look at about 1900, it was about 60 pounds of sugar per year. Till now, it's about the 152 pounds that's just looking at sugar. Now, if we look at grains, we can see that the United States grain consumption has more than doubled just since 1960. It's fascinating to see that our lard consumption has decreased from about 12 pounds of lard eaten per person per year in 1910 to about one pound per year by 1990. And since 1990, it's held about that same amount. And so just mentioning that again, in 1910, it was about 12 pounds of lard per person per year to about one pound. So that's a huge decrease. And of course, I'm sure you're not surprised to see lard consumption so low because if you ask yourself, when was the last time that you ate something with lard or cooked with lard or went to the store and decided to purchase some lard? So that's not a surprise. We pretty much don't see lard in people's diets anymore at all. And it's been drilled into us that eating lard and other saturated fats leads to heart disease. So that's why we have this low lard consumption. If we look at a meta-analysis, which 
a meta-analysis is a look at the medical literature and then pooling the data found. It found that the pooled data from 21 different studies, including nearly 348,000 people, found no difference in the risk of heart disease and stroke between people with the lowest and the highest intakes of saturated fat. So from looking at all those different studies, we can see that there, there actually is not a correlation to eating saturated fat or not and having heart disease. And at this point, there are no studies and no scientific research that shows that eating saturated fat leads to heart disease. In fact, when you replace saturated fat with a higher carbohydrate intake, particularly the refined carbohydrates and sugar, you exacerbate insulin resistance and obesity, increase triglycerides and small LDL particles, and reduce the beneficial HDL cholesterol. Now, the excess blood sugar, excess insulin, and excess triglycerides, all three of those, set up an inflammatory response in the arterial wall. So it's important that we remember one of the first steps in avoiding heart disease is to eliminate excess sugar. Now, recall that sugar also means bread, muffins, scones, rice, chips, rice cakes, and pasta. It also means soda pop and fruit juice, in addition to the hidden sugars in salad dressing and condiments and sauces. All those foods, once you eat and digest them, they turn into glucose or sugar. And here at the studio, we hear responses from people, sometimes in our nutrition classes, that they say, they say things like, well, sugar really isn't a problem for me. I don't, I don't really go for chocolate and desserts. And so they're thinking that sugar's not an issue for them and that something is different about them. However, when we talk about what are you eating for your meals, their meals consist of cereal, pasta, commercial sauces. They're drinking soda pop, eating bread, yogurt, fruit, and cereal. And in talking to one woman, she changed her diet to vegan in January to improve her health. And just in the other day, I was talking to her, and she said that she's now looking at the sugar and the carb content of her new vegan diet. And she said that she's actually really surprised to see that her diet was now almost all sugar. She said that she thought that she was eating these healthy fruit bars. Oh, oh! it sounds like Jeannie cut out. Are you still there? Well, you know, I was actually talking to another person the other day, and, and, and she said that she had an interest in taking the nutrition series, and she said, well, you know, I already eat really healthy. So I said, oh, well, that's great. You know, tell me, what does a typical day look like for you when you're eating? And she said, well, you know, I start my day with a piece of fruit and uh, some yogurt, and then I have a small salad for lunch, and then I have a piece of meat or fish for dinner. Dinner. And I thought, well, you know, that's a really, uh, that's not, uh, that's not bad at all. But it sounds like she's actually starting her day with kind of a high sugar diet with the, the fruit and the yogurt. Lucy, do you ever hear people that, that bring that up? Uh, Lucy's not on right now. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, okay, great. So then I'm back. Sometimes we kind of um, get cut off on here. And yeah, you were just talking about, you were talking to somebody in the studio. Is that right, Madeline? Yes. 
Yes, and, and she has a, a piece of fruit and some yogurt for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And and she, you know, she said, you know, I already eat a really healthy diet, and and that you know that's just what she brought up. So it just reminds me of you, what you were just saying there about these hidden sugars, where you might not think that fruit and yogurt is a high sugar meal, but it really is. Absolutely. And this person who is a vegan and she was noticing that she was eating mostly sugar, she was even saying, you know, I thought I was really eating a healthy diet because these fruit bars are natural and everything. Those were her words on it. And she said, they're, they're all natural and they're really healthy. But when I looked at the package, it's 100% sugar and carbs in these. And so she was looking into maybe making some changes in her diet. And the other thing she noticed is that her diet was very low on proteins and even in fats and last night on my way home from the studio I was listening to Minnesota Public Radio or NPR and they had two people on the show and they were talking about gluten-free breads cookies and muffins and how to bake gluten-free and these weren't necessarily people that were really into eating gluten-free it's just that they they have a lot of background in science and in cooking and so they were asked as a project to come up with recipes for people and and the reason they were asked is because there's this enormous uh, wanting out there from people who are going gluten-free to be able to make um, bread and cookies and pastries without gluten. And so this was a project of theirs, and they were on the radio show on NPR. It was on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. And interesting to hear, but um, wh- what they had noted was that the gluten-free flour that they used, they tried all kinds of different things. And they said, we landed on one that makes the best product. And the one that they use and recommend was made from mostly white rice flour and then a bit of brown rice flour and two starches. And I'm not sure what those those were. I know one of them was potato starch, and I'm not sure what the other starch was. It wasn't maybe, corn. Maybe tapioca it was, starch. You know, it was. It was tapioca starch. And... So imagine just eating that alone. Say that you just put that together, the rice flour, brown rice flour, tapioca starch, and potato starch, and and just say that you were going to just eat that. And that, that would certainly raise your blood sugar and your insulin level and eventually lead also to high triglycerides. But now take that flour and then use it to make cookies and make cakes and then you add a fair amount of sugar into those and you have even more sugar in your system. And again, these two people were not necessarily promoting gluten-free products. They were just asked to do this project. And as we learned in the previous show, the gluten that we have available to us is no longer a food that benefits our health. And so, yes, removing gluten from your diet would really be a great idea. And we actually do promote people doing that. But the problem is that people are thinking it's healthier to eat gluten-free cookies, cakes, and breads when these foods are just as bad for your health. And so we suggest to not get caught up in fads and instead learn and educate yourself about what the real issues are and realize that there's actually no easy, simple way that you cannot remove gluten and then add sugar and highly processed grains and still have a healthy food. So we can see that eating vegan or gluten-free, if you're not careful and don't know what you're doing, that can both of those can still leave you with too much sugar, too much insulin, 
and too high of triglycerides, which leads to inflammation of the arterial walls. And um, Madeline and Lucy, both of you have also, I'm sure, heard a lot of different comments and statements and also read various places where people are talking about gluten-free foods. And uh, Madeline, I know you had a roommate at a time who was going gluten-free. And we just see that people really have a mistaken idea about what's healthy and what's not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I definitely yeah. see that, you know, all over the place. The the roommate that I had, she um she said that she was going gluten-free because gluten ga- gave her eczema. And she had a little bit of an odd idea about um, you know, how, how I guess what gluten is really doing inside of her body and and that it really affects more than just her eczema, but she wasn't aware of that. So how she treated her diet was that, you know, on days or weeks that she wanted to wear short sleeves, she would be gluten-free. And then on the weeks where she was okay with wearing a long sleeve shirt and hiding her eczema, she would eat pizza and drink beer and have toast. And literally every single time she ate, it was mainly gluten. Um, and she, she just, you know, she, she ha- didn't have a whole lot of education about, you know, what it really means to go gluten-free. Mm-hmm. I think that really illustri- illustrates a good point, and I think that that it's not just that roommate and not just this one person here or there, but it's actually the general consensus. And I know when I'm looking online at various recipes and I see anything that says gluten-free, it's always loaded with sugar. And mm-hmm. sometimes the, it's it's loaded with honey, or one time it was two cups of, of dates. And so you can imagine the amount of sugar that's in two cups of dates, but somebody who isn't really educated about food and hasn't learned about what what's really happening would think, well, dates are natural, and so if I eat two cups of, of dried dates, that's, that's going to be something healthy because it's natural. And I've heard people say that about fruit juice as well. Well, how could fruit juice be bad for you because fruit is natural? And so what you're learning is that all of these things, yes, they may be natural, but they still are sugar. And that it doesn't mean that no one should ever, ever eat these foods. It means it depends on what you're working on for your health. And if you're one of these people that has a propensity for heart disease or it's in your family, it's going to be important for you to watch the sugar content of your food, including fruit juice and dates and any other foods like that. Well, it's time for us to take a break. So remember that we're taking callers. Call us when we come back at one 472 5792 We'll be back in a minute. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. 
Cancer is not something to be taken lightly. But instead of being talked at by doctors, medical providers, and others, wouldn't it be nice to hear from a host who has worked at the Cancer Coalface for 38 years as a caregiver, supporter for 14,000 patients, and who has had the experience of having a life-threatening condition herself? You will hear the stories of survivors and other people who work in breakthrough cancer medicine. Navigating the Cancer Maze with host Grace Goller will help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach us with your questions and comments, please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Body Balance Talk. This is Lucy along with Madeline and Jeannie. And before the break, we were talking about blood sugar and sugar in general and heart disease. Now let's move into our big topic of the day. Oh, absolutely. We're supposed to be talking about magnesium today. So let's turn our attention to that. Magnesium plays three huge roles in the proper functioning of your blood vessels, including your coronary arteries. And the three biggies are, number one, magnesium prevents the blood vessels in your heart from spasming. And heart spasms can lead to a heart attack. The second thing magnesium does is it prevents your peripheral blood vessels from spasming as well. And peripheral spasms lead to high blood pressure. And three, magnesium helps prevent excess calcium buildup in the arterial wall. So how does this heart attack happen and what starts the process? Now, we've already learned that sugar, insulin, and triglycerides play a huge role in starting arterial wall inflammation. Here is another route to heart disease that often runs right next to or parallel to the blood sugar inflammation issue. Now, we know that it's not the exact same process for every person, but this would be a typical scenario. The first step would be a loss of elasticity of your arterial wall. Ideally, your arteries should be supple, and they should be able to expand easily if they need to. For instance, when you move and exercise, you pump more blood, and you would like to have the ability to have your arteries expand if they need to expand. And when a person loses that elasticity, the artery doesn't expand very well, and so the blood pressure goes up. Just think, if you had a watering hose with the water on low volume, and then you turn up the water and have more water going through the hose, the pressure in the hose is going to increase. So you see that if the hose or your own arteries don't expand at all, the pressure increases, and then this turns into high blood pressure. If your arteries have the ability to expand, then the blood pressure can be maintained as normal. Now, what makes your arteries elastic and able to expand? Two things. 
The first is the subendothelial layer of the artery, and the second is the smooth muscle cells of the arterial wall. So let's back up here for just a moment. When you travel inside of your artery, you'll find these specialized cells called endothelial cells. Endothelial kind of means like skin cells. You also have those on your skin. So if you go inside of your artery or your capillary, you have almost like these same skin cells called endothelial cells. And they're laid out as a single layer inside of your artery. Now, if you're, you're in that artery, you're looking around and you see these cells. If you take a peek right below the endothelial cells, you'll see another layer hiding below. And that's called the subendothelial layer. Of course, sub means underneath. It's in the sublayer that you'll find a very thin connective tissue containing something called elastin. Now, you've probably heard of elastin and collagen in your skin. And when you lose it, you get wrinkles on your face and wrinkles on your hands and eventually wrinkles all over your body. Well, you have elastin inside your arterial wall that provides the elasticity for your arteries, allowing them to expand and then bounce back to their normal size. Okay, here it is. Magnesium comes to play right here. Your body needs magnesium to make elastin. One of the earliest signs of magnesium deficiency is loss of elastin in the arterial wall. And that leads to your arteries becoming stiff and unable to expand. Now, the smooth muscle cells inside your arterial wall are also responsible for the ability of your blood vessels to expand. So... I'm just going to repeat that again. That's smooth muscle cells. Just think of that you've got some muscle cells right inside of the arterial wall, and they also help your blood vessels to expand. Smooth muscle cells are different from the subendothelial cells in that they control the dilation of your arteries. And so if we just back up a little bit and think that that subendothelial layer, that just helps it to become elastic. But the smooth muscle cells actually help your artery to expand and dilate. So we can think that calcium is what causes contraction of the muscle and magnesium causes relaxation of the muscle. And it's muscle that we have right inside of our arteries. And it's this balance of calcium and magnesium that help to control our blood pressure and the flow of blood within our arteries. Another important chemical inside of your vessels is called nitric oxide. It's important to know that there are actually three types of nitric oxide in your body. Some of them are not beneficial forms. But this form of nitric oxide is beneficial, and its point is to dilate your blood vessels when the blood vessels are supposed to be dilating. Nitric oxide action is dependent on magnesium. Now, it's been shown in studies that animals on diets which are low on magnesium lose the elasticity of their arteries. And you know that you have arteries all over your body, but it's the vessels in your heart or your coronary arteries that actually require even more elasticity than the arteries in the rest of your body. These coronary arteries must be able to expand and stretch and flex as your heart expands and contracts. 
when your coronary arteries lose this elasticity, inflammation happens in the endothelial and in the subendothelial layers right at the points of the artery that are most challenged by stretching. Those points would be at the bifurcations of the arteries. Where the arteries branch off, that's called a bifurcation. That's a common place to find the most weakness in the arterial wall due to loss of elasticity. So now at this point of weakness or arterial injury, that's when we see inflammation starting to settle in. When you have inflammation, you have your white blood cells or your immune cells come to the scene to try and fix the situation. You also get cholesterol coming to the scene. And cholesterol is trying to smooth over the injury somewhat like a Band-Aid would. And the cholesterol, though, did not cause the problem in the first place. It's coming to the scene to help out the situation. Now, in addition to these extra immune cells and cholesterol, if you have an imbalance of calcium, meaning an excess of calcium and a deficiency of magnesium, you'll have extra calcium also attending at the site of the injury. Okay, so then we can see now that this area becomes rigid. And it interferes with blood flow throughout the vessel. Remember, your arteries and your capillaries are supposed to be able to expand. But we've got damage to the arterial wall. We have inflammation. We have all kinds of extra cells at the site. And we have weakening at those bifurcations. As time goes on, this artery becomes more and more plugged. And it also becomes weaker from the loss of elastin. When blood finally cannot get through because the artery is plugged, it slowly destroys small areas of the heart muscle because the heart muscle does not receive the oxygen it needs from that capillary or artery. This leads to chest pain and damage to a larger area of your heart and lastly, a heart attack. Magnesium can prevent this picture firstly by reducing the loss of elastin from the subendothelial layer of the artery. And magnesium can also help the production of the nitric oxide, which is essential for arterial dilation. Some of the first evidence that showed magnesium to be critical for heart function came from epidemiological studies done in Sweden, in Wales, Taiwan, Finland, and Japan that showed that people living in areas with magnesium-poor water and magnesium-poor food had higher death rates from cardiovascular disease than people living in areas with the opposite. Now, people living in areas where calcium in the water was way higher than the magnesium or in areas where people got much more calcium in their diet compared to magnesium, that also showed even more heart disease. In the United States, a study looked at 14,000 men and women over a seven-year time period and concluded that a diet low in magnesium contributes to blocking and stiffening of the arteries and to heart attack. And here's the CDC again. The CDC in Atlanta did another study where they followed 12,000 people for 19 years. And after analyzing the data, they determined that the rate of dying from heart disease was highest in those people with magnesium deficiency. They made a conservative estimate that 11% of the 500,000 deaths related to heart disease in 1993 could have been directly related to magnesium deficiency. 
Now, it's important to note that these researchers did not accurately measure magnesium status. They were looking at magnesium consumption. If they had used an accurate measurement of magnesium, such as the red blood cell magnesium measurement, they might very well conclude that way more than 11% would be related to magnesium deficiency. So we can see that this 11% is a conservative estimate. So we see that the scientific world in modern medicine has been researching magnesium for the past decades. And it's well known that magnesium plays a huge role in what happens to your coronary arteries. Magnesium helps your arterial wall to be supple, to be stretchy, and to be able to expand because of the elastin in that subendothelial layer of your arteries. And magnesium helps your blood vessels to dilate by assisting in the function of nitric oxide, which is responsible for this dilation effect. When you're low on magnesium, your arterial walls are not stretchy anymore. They get stiff, and you lose the ability to dilate your arteries. Your blood pressure rises. Damage to the arterial wall arises and inflammation happens with your immune cells, calcium, and finally cholesterol coming to the scene. So we can see how connected your body really is when we combine the issue of the sugar, the insulin, and the triglyceride inflammation. Now combine that with low magnesium issue. Eating this diet that's high in sugar and carbs, it uses up your magnesium stores. It actually takes a lot of magnesium to metabolize and process through those extra sugars that we get in our diets. And so it's connected, eating sugar and low magnesium. The other way it's connected is that usually people that eat diets high in sugar and carbs and processed foods, usually those people are not eating vegetables and sometimes none at all. So they not only deplete their magnesium from eating sugar, they're not even getting it in the first place from eating eating magnesium-rich foods in their diet. So it's a double whammy for that type of a person. Now, did you know that the highest consumed vegetable in the United States is potatoes? And that's potatoes in the form of french fries. And the highest consumed fruit is actually tomatoes in the form of ketchup. And neither of those provides a good amount of magnesium for people. So we can see that the first step in avoiding heart disease would be to remove the sugar from the diet and increase the vegetable intake. And the second step would be to supplement with magnesium. And I'm going to start out when we start our discussion about supplementation, mentioning that If you have a kidney condition where you cannot effectively eliminate magnesium, you would not want to take additional supplementation of magnesium without checking with your kidney doctors. So it's important to know that people have varying stages of kidney trouble. And if you have that kidney trouble, check with your doctor because maybe you're able to eat magnesium-rich foods, maybe you're not. So that would be something for you to check on. For the rest of us, people that have good functioning kidneys, we need to supplement with magnesium. And we discussed in previous shows why. In this show, we've already discussed that if you eat a diet high in processed foods and processed sugars, that actually depletes your magnesium. But other reasons that we're already low in magnesium would be that we're all dealing with high stress levels. And that could be stress from toxins in the environment, 
that could be stress from eating foods that don't work well in your body, and those are actually creating inflammatory responses, such as Madeline was discussing earlier that her roommate gets eczema from gluten. So that's that's creating a stress response in her roommate's body. And the fact that she goes on and off, on and off gluten, depending on if she's wearing sleeves or not, that's that's an ongoing stress response that that person's dealing with. And when we have stress responses, that dramatically depletes magnesium in our bodies. And another reason that we would be depleted in magnesium is even if you're eating loads of vegetables, our soil is depleted nowadays. It's not where it used to be 100 years ago. And we've gone from six feet of very fertile, good topsoil down to six inches of very good, fertile topsoil in just the last 60 years. And it takes about a 1,000 years to develop a really, really good one-inch thick of good topsoil. So we see that we're in a little bit of trouble with our soil out there and our food supply. And so that leads us into this idea that we really need to supplement with magnesium if we're going to repair our stores of magnesium in our bodies that will help us with those arterial walls and all of the other wonderful things that magnesium does. And you can take magnesium in a variety of ways and in different salt forms. So the fastest way and the most effective way to get magnesium is from a variety of those ways. So I've heard people say before, uh, when I would suggest that maybe they supplement with magnesium, they say, well, I, I already get magnesium. And then I ask, oh, well, that's, that's so great. You're already supplementing. What form of magnesium do you take? And they say, oh, I, I don't know what it is, but it's in my multivitamin. And it's, it's going to be good for everybody to note that that's great that you have magnesium in your multivitamin. And every multivitamin should have magnesium in it. But that amount of magnesium is at a very, very, very low level. And what we're talking about here in supplementing magnesium to raise your magnesium stores is going to be way higher amounts of magnesium than you can get in your multivitamin. And so we, we look for uh, ways outside of the multivitamin. And you'll notice that there's all these different salts of magnesium when you start to look for it. And notice that you can't go into the store and then just see this bottle that just says this is magnesium. There's always going to be this other word on it. And some of those other words are salts. So you could see magnesium sulfate, magnesium chloride, magnesium glycinate, magnesium malate, citrate, oxide. And then there's actually many more forms of it. And magnesium comes in these salt forms. It's, it's kind of like how the magnesium is carried into your body. And if you're taking it in an oral formulation, it goes into your stomach. And then you actually need stomach acids to break that salt off of the, ma- the magnesium. And so say that it was actually sulfate that you were taking or it was citrate that you were taking, then your body's going to actually use that citrate or citric acid uh, for other purposes that could actually be good purposes. And then it's going to use the magnesium for what we've been talking about today. So maybe making the elastin in the arterial wall or helping your nitric oxide or any of the over 300 other reactions that magnesium is involved in. But it's important to note that you can't just go in the store and just buy something that's just magnesium. And from this point on, it's going to be important for you to actually look and see what exactly that salt is. 
because some of these salts are going to be magnesium salts that you don't absorb very well. So two of those would be magnesium oxide and then magnesium citrate to um, a somewhat of a degree that you don't absorb those. Those are not going to be real great ones for you to restore your magnesium stores inside the cell. It looks like it's time for our second break. So when we come back, we'll continue to talk about magnesium supplements. Call us at one 472 5792 Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes' work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach us with your questions and comments, please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now, back to the show. Hello. Welcome to Body Balance Talk. This is Lucy along with Madeline and Jeannie. And for all of those listening or maybe you're listening to the replay, send us an email if you have a question. And we'll either email you back or we'll answer your question on air next time. So let's continue our discussion. Yeah, we were talking about the different salts of magnesium and talking about how magnesium citrate and oxide, those are going to be great ones if you have constipation. That will help you poop. It will draw, it, the magnesium will stay in your colon. It will draw water in and help you with that. So they're very, very beneficial. But those two, the magnesium citrate and oxide, are not helpful if you're trying to replace your magnesium stores. And if you actually look on your multivitamin, lots of those, that's what, the mult, a lot of the multivitamins actually have in them is going to be mag citrate or mag oxide. So um, 
just a, a little side note there. So we're all from now on going to look and see what salts of magnesium we're taking. And each of these salts acts a little bit differently in your body and it provides benefit in different ways. And so I'd like to start out by saying that many people cannot absorb magnesium through their stomachs. And in fact, you need an acid environment of a pH of 1 to 3, which is very, very acidic in your stomach to absorb magnesium in your food or if you're taking supplements. And people who take acid blockers, such as Pepsid or Prilosec or Omeprazole, any in that class of medications, those people do not have stomach acid if they're taking the medications, and they're not going to be absorbing magnesium or even other minerals, such as zinc and calcium. Now, another group would be the elderly. And as people age, our stomach acid decreases, and we become less and less and less able to absorb these minerals through the digestive system. And so for this reason, magnesium oral supplements are generally not useful for those people. And for these groups, and even for other people, we really recommend starting with transdermal magnesium. And transdermal just is a kind of a big fancy word, just meaning that it's absorbed through your skin. And this way, we can skip the digestive process and simply get the magnesium into the bloodstream. And what we recommend is something called magnesium gel or magnesium oil. And we like a specific product that's made by a company called Ancient Minerals. And Ancient Minerals produces a pure, well-made magnesium product that does really work. And the key here is that it's pure and it's also concentrated so that you get a good dose when you put that on your skin. And you can find magnesium gels from other companies, but for the most part, they have not been tested for purity and they don't get their magnesium even from a pure source in the first place. And often they're also not concentrated. So you can put that all over your skin, but you're not getting a good concentrated source of it. And the last thing that you want is to rub magnesium gel on your skin and then get a nice dose of lead, mercury, or other heavy metals that are contaminating your system and you don't even know that that's what you're getting. And what we always say is you get what you pay for and how much is good health worth to you. Now, the magnesium gel from Ancient Minerals is called magnesium chloride. So that salt would be chloride. And how do you use the magnesium gel? Well, you take the gel, it comes in a tube, and you put it all over your body. You just avoid tender areas. You don't put it on your face. And it can feel a bit tingly or maybe a little bit itchy for people. It's not necessarily comfortable and a good feeling. And just we like to remind people to keep in mind that using the magnesium gel or oil, that it's a treatment. And it's ideal if you stay undressed and just let the gel absorb for maybe 20 or 30 minutes. And if you need, you can put on something loose. But you just don't want to put on your regular clothes for the day because they'll, they'll get all full of this gel and they get salty inside, salty and kind of sticky. So something like a light, loose robe that doesn't touch your skin excessively would be something that you could put on. And after 20 to 30 minutes goes by, you go ahead and shower it off. Now, the gel will not absorb entirely into your skin, and you'll end up with a fair amount of residue. And if in those 20 to 30 minutes it dries and then it leaves a white salt on your body, 
And that happens a lot here uh, where we are in Minneapolis when it's dry and there's all this heating inside of buildings. It's very dry air. So even after five minutes, it might get dry and then you see the salty residue. Go ahead and get your hands wet and rub over those areas to re-moisten it. So you might have to do that a couple of times. And then you notice if you're living somewhere where it's humid or here in Minneapolis in the summer, it's quite humid, then you don't have that problem of it drying up. But you'll get a whole lot more out of your magnesium oil or gel if you re-moisten it because then you can continue to absorb it. And if you choose the magnesium oil, you need to know that it's really not an oil, but it looks and it feels like oil. It feels like it's greasy, but that kind of greasy feel comes because it's a super saturated solution of the magnesium chloride, and that gives it an oil feel. And it's important to know this because people often think that the magnesium gel or the oil are moisturizing, but it's actually the opposite. And both the gel and the oil are both very drying. And most people will need to use a moisturizer if you're doing this on a regular basis. So you just don't want to get fooled into thinking that the oil is going to be something that will moisturize your skin. And choosing between the gel or oil, that's going to simply be your preference. Uh, If you get the oil, it comes with a spray nozzle on top, and some people like that. Uh, They feel like it helps them to reach more difficult areas of their body. But I'll tell you, when I use the oil, though, and I'm, I'm using the oil all over my body, it's many, many, many sprays, and my fingers get tired out from pumping that spray bottle. And so what I do, I end up taking the spray nozzle out of the bottle and then just dump a teaspoon or or whatever I can get into my palm and then rub it in. And I find it just the whole process goes a lot faster than that spray. Now, for the gel, that doesn't run all over the place and it's easier for most people to use. But it's really just your preference of which one that, that you like one over the other. People have personal preferences. They're both the same concentration, so there's no difference there. And we recommend the magnesium gel to many people in the studio because they're often getting muscle cramps in the exercise classes. And It's certainly helpful to simply put the magnesium gel just on the body part that's cramping, like your foot or some people's calves cramp up. Those are usually the most common areas. And then if you just put the gel on your foot or on your your calf, most people will get relief right away from doing this. But muscle cramps are a sign that your whole body is really low in magnesium. And so just because you feel it only as a muscle cramp in your foot doesn't mean that the low magnesium is already making trouble in your arterial wall. So remember what we already learned from class. Magnesium is really important in your arterial walls to keep them from being stiff and rigid, and it helps you from developing high blood pressure. So those are things that you really can't feel. But you can feel muscle cramps. So it's going to be important for people to listen to symptoms that they get, knowing that any of these symptoms that we get, they're not just these random things that happen for no reason. These are messages to you. And so the message when you get a muscle cramp and you put the magnesium gel on and that helps your muscle cramp, the answer for you is that, or the message for you, is that your body is low in magnesium and it would be wise for you to start replenishing your stores before you get into real trouble with something with your arterial wall and leading even to heart attacks. 
And now, in terms of oral supplements, we would recommend taking the magnesium glycinate or the malate. Both of those are going to be well absorbed from your digestive tract if you're able to absorb minerals. So remember, if um, if you're elderly, and I mean like maybe people in their 90s, it's going to vary. If you're somebody that's really aged quickly and you have really low stomach acid, that can happen already in your 40s. So if, if you're one of those people that doesn't absorb, well, we recommend... Don't even bother with the supplements and instead really, really focus on the magnesium gel or the oil. But really, for everybody, use the magnesium in gel or oil. And then if you're a good absorber of minerals, start taking the magnesium glycinate or you could take the magnesium malate. And an easy way to start is just to start by taking about 200 milligrams at night. So take your bottle of magnesium glycinate and see how many milligrams are in one tablet. Usually there's going to be about 100 milligrams in a tablet. So then you go, okay, I'll take two of these at night. And then see how you do with that. And what I mean by that is if you've tolerated that well and you didn't get diarrhea, then I would suggest adding another 200 milligrams in the morning. So now you're getting about 400 milligrams a day. Try that for maybe a week or a few days. See how you're feeling. And if you can, add another dose in the middle of the day. So maybe you would be getting even 600 milligrams. You're going to know if you're getting too much magnesium because you'll get diarrhea. So this takes away the worry of, well, I'm really afraid to take these supplements because you can really overdo it. With this one, it's going to eliminate it through through your body, through the colon, and you're not going to have that trouble where you're just wondering if you're getting toxic on magnesium. So as soon as, if you do develop diarrhea, all you're going to do is just back off on your magnesium and you're going to titrate your dose. You're going to play it up and you're going to play it down until you find what dose of oral magnesium that you can tolerate in your system. Uh, something else that you're going to be looking at is just your diet. And we've already discussed this about the sugar and focusing on getting the sugar out of your diet and focusing on getting more Vegetables into your diet is already going to improve your magnesium status for you. And so we want to take a multi-pronged approach to improving magnesium. So the answer wouldn't just be, I'm going to continue on my bad diet of processed foods and lots of sugar. And if I just pop some magnesium pills, that's just going to work. We don't want to be thinking in that way. That actually doesn't work that way. So we look at improving the diet and we also look at... Uh, taking the magnesium gel or the magnesium oil, and then starting in some oral supplementation. And if you're planning on doing this only with oral supplements, it would take you about a year to improve your magnesium status to where it might be something optimal. And that's why we recommend people use the transdermal or the gel or oil. That's going to work a whole lot more effectively for you to replace your magnesium stores. It's much, much faster. And you should notice if you're having any sort of symptoms that those should start to go away. The cramping should start to go away. Anybody that's dealing with anxiety, that should be improving. Your ability to handle stress should improve. You should sleep better. And your liver would be more effective and efficient at detoxification. And it's important to know as long as we live in a world filled with stress, sugar, processed foods, and toxins and poor soil, we'll need to supplement with magnesium. 
Well, let's wrap up. It's time to wrap up the show today. Tell all of your friends about the radio show. Tell your family. And be sure to subscribe to our blog at MyBodyBalanceNutrition.com. And for all of you Facebook people, join the Body Balance Nutrition Facebook community to get useful updates. I'm Lucy, along with Madeline and Jeannie, and that's our show. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Join Jeannie, Lucy, and Madeline for another edition of Body Balance Talk next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, listen to yourself and make it a healthy life ahead. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.